we doing out there in the podcast fandom world? I, of course, am Tim from Ski Rex Media, welcoming you back for another Ski Rex Media podcast. How have you been? How did you enjoy the last two weeks on the podcast? The two-parter for the season premiere starring Brian from IG, Tech Rob, Scooter, Kendall, Brian from the Highfalutin Ski Bums podcast. What did you think of that? The two-part thing? I hope you enjoyed it. If you didn't, there was a way to get it to it, get it in its entirety all at once, but I'll talk about that at the end. Also, I may or may not do two-parters from now on, or at least when I do a series, it'll be two distinct episodes. It doesn't matter. In any case, thank you for coming back. And today, we are doing a more typical Ski Rex Media podcast uh, with an interview, our first athlete of the season. Season, our first professional athlete of the season. And we'll get into that here in a moment. But first, let me tell you about Whaleback Mountain. Yes, the Ski Rex Media podcast and Ski Rex Media are brought to you in part by Whaleback Mountain in Enfield, New Hampshire. My home mountain, a great little mountain. It's an awesome mountain. Maybe it's small. Maybe a lot of people haven't heard of it, but that's why I'm talking about it to make sure people do get to hear about it. And you get to check it out and see how awesome it is. All the terrain you could ever want, even in a small package, it's what you need some of it's groomed a lot of it isn't it's easy it's hard it's whatever you need it to be plus they'll teach you how to do it while you are there they also have trees things will get bumped there's ice there's a lot of fun over there and people love the place the vibe is great the employees are great the people who go there are great it's a local mountain but it doesn't have to feel like i don't know you don't belong if you're not a local come and check it out i'm there all the time in the winter it's only 15 minutes from the hq i am a pass holder and i love the place and i hope you love the place to Whaleback Mountain, exit 16 off I-89 in Enfield, New Hampshire. Ski it to believe it. What you're going to notice about this interview first and foremost is that the audio you're hearing now is probably a tad bit better than what you hear during the interview. That's right. I'm recutting the intro so you know it's not you. It was me. Yes, I biffed on my audio. Now, my guest is Jacob Perkins. He's a professional speed skier with Team USA, and I don't know a lot about speed skiing. Maybe you do. Maybe you don't, but you might might know a bit after the episode is done because we talked to Jacob and it's going to be awesome. Well, again, my audio is crap. His audio is fine because he called in and everything was square with him, but mine kind of sucked. My microphone just wasn't handling it or I was just too excited and the microphone couldn't handle it. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? But that's how audio works. But we're going to get into it. and It's a good time to get into it because it is still summertime. And I hope you're having a lot of good summertime shenanigans. But in summertime, it is hot and it is smoking hot right now here in the New England. So let's talk about winter. Who better to talk to on a hot, hot day? It is 95 here in the Vermont today. And who better to talk to on a hot day than someone who's specializes in working in the cold. Jacob Perkins, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Tim? I'm doing awesome. Thank you for being on, man. Yet another athlete for the Ski Rex Media Podcast, another pro athlete. Uh, Team USA, right? Yes, Team USA. Excellent. So yeah, we're staying on that. We're staying on this side of the pond this time. The last time I talked to an athlete, it was uh, Benjamin Alexander over there. He skied for Jamaica this past Olympics. Uh, the first person ever to do that. So we're staying on this side of the pond. Jacob, why don't you tell them what you do? Yeah, so I participate in the FIS World Cup sport of speed skiing. And for those who don't know what speed skiing is, it's basically where you're in a tuck and you're going as fast as possible in a straight line down the hill and the fastest speed wins. Which is so awesome. The true 
Now, when most people think of FIS speed events, they're thinking downhillers, they're thinking Super G, they're thinking Lindsey Vaughn, that's what they're thinking. Um, you, though, are destroying all the speeds they could ever wish for, right? Yeah, I mean, typically a downhiller is in the 80 to 90 mile an hour range where it's not untypical for a in a speed skiing event for the speeds to be over uh, 200 kilometers an hour or over 124 miles an hour. Now that is ridiculous. Now for those who really don't know or who haven't seen this, you, you've probably seen it. Any listener out there, you've seen these guys, their suits look like, they almost look like rubber. The helmets are longer in the back. They're designed for, um, to, to bring down resistance, right? Kind of like we see in car design. Yes. Everything is teardrop shaped and, uh, very uh, aerodynamic. Yeah. So these guys and girls are hammering in a straight line mind you there's no turning right it's just straight down yeah no turning so straight down and as we as we know as we've learned in math class over the years the shortest distance between two points is a straight line it's also the fastest so let's let's talk about how how does it feel? Like, I know that's a question you're probably asked a lot. I'm sure Mario and Brian asked you that when they recorded from the uh, my buddies over at High Flute and Ski Bum podcast. I haven't listened to it yet. I'm sure they asked you. I'm sure everybody asked you. What's it feel like to go that fast? It does feel fast, but it feels uh, very smooth. It feels like you're riding on a, on a cushion of air, and it's over very quick, too. I mean, the runs are less than 20 seconds, so... Uh, I mean, you can feel the wind. Uh, it, it sounds almost like a jet jet engine as you're going by, as you're piercing the wind going down the hill. But it's uh, it's over very quick. So if it's over th- that quickly, then are you? Do you get the rush? Like I've talked to other um, like skiers in other disciplines, and they they always talk about the rush that you get, and, and any athlete really when they're doing what they do. Um, do you get a chance to even feel that? Yeah, I do. I the the biggest rush is in in the acceleration when you're getting. Up up to to speed and then obviously the lead up to the run itself um it's a it's a huge mental game uh and when you're at the top of these courses they're often very steep the speeds are very high and and thinking about that before you go it it definitely takes someone very mentally tough to do that so that's a big part of your training then is to prepare yourself excuse me prepare yourself mentally then like you have the physical training as well obviously all athletes do and we'll get into that but the mental game how do you prepare for that Uh, i like to practice 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 especially in the in the season uh early on i will not practice at 100 or 100 plus miles an hour but i'll practice at 60 miles an hour and practicing at the slower speeds and getting uh used to your equipment setup and working on your technique and feeling the run it's it's the same principles at, at the at the faster speeds um that gives me the confidence and allows me to feel comfortable when i'm at the top of one of these courses and, and about to push off i kind of let the training take over yeah so it's almost like an autopilot for you then mm-hmm. excellent when when you're going and you got yourself locked in and you got your mental game going you're not looking left or right like what's whipping by you is completely it's meaningless i I would assume yes yeah our our helmets uh they they look like darth vader helmets and the visor out of the front of the helmet is only a couple inches wide and it just it just spans the width of your your eyes so you're only seeing in a tuck position a couple feet out in front of you um so you're focused really just at the run itself and out front 
front. Uh, everything else is kind of a blur and it's on, on the side. So with that, almost a tunnel vision, you know, your, 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 your view is of tunnel vision. It's like having a horse with blinders, I'm sure. Uh, that's all you can see. You're moving at well over 100 miles an hour. Again, you said you're mentally prepared and everything, but are you still scared of it or afraid of it? Yeah, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't scared. I mean, there's there's been accidents I've had in the past, both in training and competition, and definitely that you know takes its toll on you. But like I said, when I understand how my equipment works and and feel good about my technique and understand the mistakes I've made and how not to make them again, and I have that confidence, uh, I don't feel scared i feel i actually feel at peace i feel very comfortable nice so once you get going it's a zen moment for you then you're just in your zone and you do it yeah that's awesome i can't even imagine like as a purely recreational skier like you won't catch me racing it's not i'm not good enough i don't have the knees for it uh, i'm a, i'd be an old man in your sport i'm over 40 are you kidding me but <laughs> how does it the quickest i've probably ever hit is about 50 and i know once i'm getting going that fast the skis start to chatter they start to move start to feel different is it a similar feeling in that part of it as well it, it is at a much higher speed uh the skis we ski on they're actually 240 centimeters in length uh and they're uh, wide and they're extremely extremely heavy. They're made out of titanium and solid wood core construction. To give you an idea, downhill ski is only 218 centimeters long. So these are very long, very rigid, uh, wide skis. They're, they're made for high speeds. But again, when you do get up, even on the, even on these skis to a certain speed, you know, they will eventually start to behave like that. It, it may not be 50 miles an hour. It may be 140 or 150 miles an hour instead. But, uh, actually the skis at, at 80 or 90 miles an hour that we compete on, I mean, they, they feel very stable at those speeds. That's, that's typically a warm up run in speed skiing. It's about 80 to 90 miles an hour. That's actually really interesting. So do you just real quick, do you, you, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm getting all tongue tied here. It's what happens when you talk to these stars, people, you can't keep yourself together. Um, these sports stars. So you, do you participate in recreational skiing as well? Like you're still out on the resort doing your thing? Yeah, of course. I, I love going out and free skiing and hanging out with friends. Um, I actually used to work as a ski instructor. So when I did that, I, I mean, obviously wasn't skiing around on 240 centimeter. I was, I usually taught most of my lessons on skis, 165 centimeters to 175 centimeters. So it, I mean, I, I love just going out and skiing and, and just skiing to ski. Um, I, I've always enjoyed skiing, uh, even though I do like the competitive side of it and and that's where i was going with that I, i've talked to athletes skiers um other athletes you know at, at different levels not so much pro but I, I always wonder if the recreational part of it loses something when you're competing especially at your level you're now an international competition like i've talked to ncaa competitors and i'm like is it is it all is it a job now or is it still fun and is and for you i guess that would be is the recreational still fun and 
is the job fun. Yes, the recreation is fun, but with the recreation, what's what's fun to me is developing the relationships, like like on the lift rides, skiing with your friends, uh, getting to talk to people at your local resort. That's what's fun to me with recreational skiing. And then with aspect to the competitive side and the and all the competitions, it's definitely a very gratifying feeling to complete a run and have a good run and see your speed and and feel like you're making improvement it's a, it's a great feeling i can only imagine how great a feeling that is and i know how great a feeling is the social aspect of skiing let take that listen to that listeners we have this, this young man is a pro is an international competitor and he's still in it for the social aspect he's a street level guy just like the rest of us how awesome is that i'm so happy to hear that dude yeah it's it's great and and i think that's another thing about speed skiing as well is the community is uh, very tight knit and and we're all there to support each other. Um, I mean, I've I've competed uh, in other sports and and a lot of times I see you know that the other athletes it's kind of them for themselves and you know they don't want to help you. But when I was trying to get into speed skiing, if it wasn't for the speed skiing community, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I believe it. Um, and I do have some questions about that. But since you brought up getting into it, how did you get into this one not like going from a ski instructor you could have had your choice of any discipline why this one i started off skiing in high school uh in alpine ski racing i competed in giant slalom and slalom um, both in ussa uh, masters and nascar i was a good national level racer but i was i was not a professional ski racer and i knew i was never going to be able to uh especially with starting so late, but I did enjoy ski racing. And at the same time, I played tennis too uh, and wound up playing tennis in college for Southern Illinois and Wright State University. And okay. then, uh, so when I was doing that, that was a full-time job doing, doing any NCAA, uh, division one sport. It's a full-time job. I was completely committed to tennis, basically practicing every day. I still was able to ski maybe 30, 40 days a year. So I was, I felt pretty good about that. I kind of had to put hold my skiing interest and career on the side while I was doing that. So when I got out of college, I got back into skiing. And the first thing I did was uh, ski instructing. I got involved okay. with uh, PSIA, got my certification, started teaching at two of the local resorts uh, where I live. And uh, but I felt like I was missing something. I, I really enjoyed the competition having done the alpine skiing and and then doing the tennis in college and i was like okay i don't want to give this up i love it being in a, in a competitive atmosphere and in especially in a sport like skiing so i was looking for things that i could do in skiing uh especially at a later age even though i was at my mid-20s and i came across uh speed skiing and i started looking into it and the great thing about speed skiing is a lot of the top speed skiers, they're, they're actually in their forties. It's a, I wouldn't say it's a lifelong sport, but I know several speed skiers that are in their fifties or sixties. So I was thinking to myself, you know, this is something that I could do for a long time. And, and here I am in my mid twenties and, uh, I have a skiing background and my uh, other career is an engineer. So I understand equipment and, you know, aerodynamics and, and all the principles that, that go into it. And it just looked like such a fun and cool sport. So I started reaching out to different speed skiers in the community, both kind of semi-pro, professional, 
uh, and then local ones in the States as well. And I was surprised that everybody was coming back and giving me all these tips and sites and, and like giving me suggestions on quit equipment and stuff. And I was like, okay, sure. this has got to be a sign that this is, this is what's, what's meant to be. So that next season, I uh, picked up a pair of uh, downhill skis and competed in what is called S2. Uh, which is the feeder category into the the World Cup competitions. I I loved it. I loved competing at in my first race. I didn't do very well, but I uh, I enjoyed the speed and liked the sport. And and from there, it was just history. I just started getting into it more. And and then this year is my first year competing um, on the World Cup. Very good. So you haven't gone out on the World Cup yet. And I do have some questions about that, too. Um, but first, I, I just want to say that's actually a great story. It seems like a very down to earth pro athlete story. I half expected. Now, I don't know, Jake. I've never met him. Don't know him personally. Know very little about him, which makes these interviews for fun for me. That's right. Part of my podcasting career is selfishness just to get to know people on my own. I kind of I was I was almost wondering what it would be like if you said, no, nah, I'm just I'm a just I'm addicted to speed. I drive 100 miles an hour everywhere I go. I do the gravity bike speed thing. I'm just speed. Is that any part of it? <laughs> It's kind I mean, of a silly question, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's funny you mentioned that because it, it's such a mix of people and backgrounds in speed skiing. I mean, I know one guy, he, he's, so when he's not speed skiing, he's a professional motorcycle racer. Okay. Um, and then I know someone that, it, you know, I know people that work in the ski industry that are ski instructors, but I also know people that just have, uh, I mean, normal day jobs like I do that are engineers or accountants or business people or, or like waiters at restaurants. I mean, just different, different jobs. Like there's not one background where someone from speed skiing, uh, necessarily comes from. But to say that there aren't some in the sport that definitely, seek the thrills uh, you know i'd be lying to say that there isn't there's definitely are some that you know like <laughs> drive high speed cars or motorcycles but i mean i i'm uh i, I don't really need to uh, drive a fast car or something because i get all the entertainment i want from speed skiing so uh <laughs> For me, that's it's awesome. Fine. That's awesome. Um, you know, speaking of which, you know, when we talk about fast cars, I know, well, I've heard, I don't know much about auto racing, very, very um, casual observer of that, casual fan, but I have heard that their drivers, it takes them a couple days to be able to drive on the street because they just feel like even 70 miles an hour is so slow. When you get to go out, say you've been training or, you know, training, 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 speed skating, but you get to go out with your buddies just at your local home mountain, does it feel slow the whole time it does it feels very very slow um I, I usually ski and then i have to stop and wait wait for whoever i'm skiing with and then eventually they catch up and then we chat but it's great for me because I get to take lots of breaks while they're constantly skiing. That's awesome. That's perfect. I would love to be able to do that. Are you kidding me? I get so tired so fast now. Um, so you're coming up. Now, this is going to be your first World Cup uh, uh, a season, yes, you said? Uh, so this is actually going to be my second year. Second, last okay. Last year was my first year. Okay. Uh, so and I was actually year. planning on the year before doing that, but with all of COVID and all the travel restrictions and so forth, that, that kind of put a damper on things, so. Oh, yeah, that just killed 
killed it for everybody. You know, wherever you landed, that's where you were when everything shut down. Um, how'd you do? Uh, so this last year, uh, my top finish was 18th in a World Cup competition. I've currently am ranked 30th in the standings. The next fist list will be coming out. I, I expect to hopefully move up in that. And uh, I set my personal best speed of 103.74 miles an hour. 103 miles an hour. I can't imagine it because I know I couldn't do it. And I, I don't know if I'd want to. I'll admit it. I'm a chicken. I'll admit that to the world. I don't care. Um, 103. Is it, what's that schedule like? Like, again, more the most people who follow i would i would assume anyway the most people who follow international skiing fis competitions know the ones that we all see at the olympics and everybody sees the olympics those are the well-known ones and their schedule is a ra- couple races a week or whatever it may be is yours the same or do you only have like six per season or what's the schedule like yeah so there's five or six locations and then at each location there's multiple races uh it typically occurs throughout the whole week so in total there's somewhere between 12 and 16 races per year if you count having two to three races at each competition site. Um, so they'll have, like I'm saying, multiple World Cups at a competition site. And then uh, before the World Cup competitions, uh, they'll oftentimes have a national level race as well, too. So you get quite a bit of practice through through all the different competitions and there's a lot of chances. But the season typically runs from late January to mid to early early April. So it runs a little bit later than the traditional Alpine season that's wrapping up around late March. Yeah, absolutely. Those cats get to start at Thanksgiving, you know, Thanksgiving for us here in the U.S. But that actually doesn't sound like a bad season. Are all the venues the the same names we've all heard of throughout Europe? In the USA, I don't know if you get any stops here in the U.S. Uh, We used to have a stop in Aspen, and then there, there was a race in Canada, which we're hoping to bring back the race in Canada in the near future. Currently, all the World Cup competitions are located over in Europe, um, in France, Spain, uh, Sweden, Finland, Andorra, several of the countries over there. So, But the nice thing is, is, is they schedule them so that you can, and typically in one trip, you can attend multiple uh races so that's that's nice yeah that sounds that sounds great it sounds like a decent season do you get any like you I, I assume since you're an american racer you get to train here are there any like qualifiers here any national level that you participate in anything like that is it a big enough thing here in the u.s so we currently have six to eight members that compete here from from the u.s uh we don't necessarily all attend or all of us attend every single single race. Uh, but for training, uh, we, we practice typically at our home resorts. Um, I have a good, uh, relationship with, um, the resort that I ski at typically in the nighttime in the weekdays when there's not a lot of people around, uh, the race hill where they set up a, uh, GS course for, um, USSA, uh, skiers and, and youth. I'll train on the side of that. And what's nice about it is the pitch and slope of the hill is very similar to a speed ski track it's it's uh has a good run out it's uh evenly pitched there's not there's no rollers and uh you can get going pretty fast i typically like i was saying train somewhere around 
uh, 55 to 65 miles an hour. Okay. It could be a groomer or somebody who works those evening hours might catch a blur on the side of your home mountain, and that's you. Yes, it could be me. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, it could be some kind of weird creature from the woods, but it's probably you zipping by at high speed. And I've never seen this in person. That's why I asked. I, I would love to see this in person. I would love to see this even more often televised because you don't. You know, in our days of streaming, YouTube, and things like that, you can really see it. If you've never watched it, check it out. It, it's it's just as an extreme of a sport as, say, the freestyle disciplines. Would you agree with that? Yes. I mean, the the risk, the adrenaline, the speed, it's it's all there. And it's. Uh, I think it's a very exciting sport. And uh, the televised aspect of the sport, I hope to see improved in the near future. However, uh, this past year, several of the races were televised on on Euronews and then the Fist Network as well. So I hope, you know, at some point, but skiing as a whole, I, I think needs to be televised more in mainstream media because, you know, there's much more to skiing than just the Olympics. There's, I mean, the Olympics is once every four years, but in between that time, there's all these World Cup competitions and world championships and, you know, you have that you have the X Games, you have all these different, you know, venues and and disciplines and stuff. I, I wish we could have more uh, media attention on that. I 100% agree, too. Like most people, I feel anyway, check out, you know, the, the winter sports during the winter games and they don't ever get to see it on television regularly. They don't get to see it in person. Like I'm lucky. I live 35 minutes from Killington. So when the Women's World Cup stop stop comes for a slalom and a GF, Yes, I, I can go see that. You know, I've seen America's princess, Michaela Schifrin, ski in person. Like, I, I've yeah. seen that. And, and again, some people I've talked to, and this is why I asked the extreme sport thing. They're like, well, you know, I like to watch the freestyle events because they're exciting. The other ones are boring. And I'm like, gee, I don't know, because I've seen them in person and it's not boring in person. And your sport, absolutely, your discipline absolutely has to be insane watching that in person. It's pr it's pretty crazy because you'll, you'll just see them whizzing by and it's like this loud, jet engine and it's and and you're bouncing up and down going 100 miles an hour i mean it's pretty it's pretty amazing uh watching the top speed skiers come by and and like i was saying it's a great community and almost everybody there after a run if you want to ask them questions uh i mean they would love to talk to you i mean we all share the passion for the sport we're we're a lot of us are really down to earth people and we want to see speed skiing um excel in the long run I, and i i hope it does for you for you all too uh everybody involved because it, it is cool to watch i think i've never tried it i don't think i ever will and i've never gotten to see it in person but i would love to i will i do have have a couple questions about um, the community here in a second, but before I forget, since we were talking about actually watching it, do you still like the spectators part of it? Like, I don't know how much you actually get to spectate at a competition. Like, you have to be busy, but when you can watch, do you still enjoy that as well? Yeah, I do enjoy it, and uh, I actually get to watch quite a bit because they have many different categories. Like I was saying, they have the, the lower category, the S2 category, and then they have juniors and women. So, Typically, the 
men will the men or the women in the top category will run first and then sure. afterwards the other categories they'll hold races um for them and so i get to see a lot of uh, speed skiers come down the hill that's awesome that that is so great uh and that's something i'm always interested in again like i said for some athletes and i, I haven't talked to a lot of pros in other sports but like ncaa and things like this um you know is it not only a now it's just a job i do it for the paycheck but is it still fun to watch and obviously you're still having a good time with it that's awesome dude yeah it's uh, and especially when you understand the sport and you've done it yourself you have uh, an appreciation when someone else has a good run you can be like oh yeah that guy's having a good run and you can feel you can kind of feel what they're feeling as if you're the one going down the hill so that's that's kind of cool to watch that is awesome to watch and awesome for you to say i hope everybody's noticing like when jake talk about how everybody's kind of down to earth obviously jake is he's still a fan he still does it he's still a nice guy he roots on everybody else that is fantastic and that's part of the community as a community as a discipline that isn't as popular do you or any of your peers ever feel like outliers uh in in snow sports uh, for sure uh, not as much over in europe um i mean i've gone into malls before and the and uh after a race or something they'll say oh i've you know seen your race on tv or oh you guys are the speed skiers and and you know people ask you questions like i feel I feel like people take much more interest over in Europe, but here in the States, I mean, uh, I mean, people don't don't really talk about skiing in general much unless you're in a ski area. That's true. Like when it comes to like recreational is fair, but even recreational is not super popular here. Not like it is in other parts of the world. And I would agree like people know again, I brought up Michaela Schifrin. Do you say that name? People know it, but people don't know other names. And sometimes I get it because there's a lot of names sometimes like I I can't memorize everybody's name either. You know, that's it's kind of just where I'm at. But but seriously, you know, it, it, I, I, I was just wondering if you guys are outliers, not outcast. And if you were put, played out as outcasts, would, would you play it up, like get the leather jacket or whatever, the rebels? <laughs> Well, I was actually looking at a, a promotional video. So speed skiing was in the 92 Albertville Olympics. And yeah, uh, in the lead up to the uh, to the 92 Olympics, there was just some different promotional videos. And they were like there was one where this where in the background, it had like the music saying born to be wild. And, you know, the guy j yes. jumping out of an airplane and speed skiing and you like you're saying driving fast cars and doing all these you know crazy things and, and I definitely think that that that's a awesome. part of it is like the speed skiing is like that you know being tough and being kind of like on the outside or rebel kind of culture like some of the the early pioneers in, in speed skiing like Steve McKinney um, I mean they they set the precedents for the future but they they also didn't do what necessarily other people were doing. They did what what they believe was right and what they what they believed in. That's actually kind of interesting. That feels very similar to the pioneering days of the extreme movement. Dan Egan, the Deloriers, these folks who are also well known, uh, but were outliers. It, it feels very similar to that. Yes. Yeah. It's. Uh, I definitely think back in the you know eighties, nineties, and and seventies as well you know you had a lot of these like there was a big push for like extreme sports with speed skiing kind of reaching its peak popularity in the late 90s and early 2000s it is it is coming back now with more events being added 
there was a, just a push in general for extreme sports, uh, skiing and other areas as well uh, back in those days. And I think it was kind of a cool time period. Oh, I can only imagine how cool that was. Um, well, speaking of which, with, with that push, I, I feel like there's a similar push today. If you look at the Olympics, both summer and winter, uh, just as examples, many, many disciplines have been added, mostly in freestyle, you know, now for skiing and snowboarding that you, you have your your big air competitions, your your slope style competitions, your, your you name it, stuff that was born out of the X Games. Now things that like Red Bull promotes these kind of things. Do you think speed skiing will get a push in this in a similar way since these other more extreme disciplines are also being pushed? I think it will. I think uh, what is going to need to happen, though, is while speed skiing is big over in Europe for speed skiing to be back in the Olympics, it needs to have more of a push over here in the States and then um, other areas around the world. And and that's what you've seen with freestyle is, is the U.S. freestyle program. I mean, they've done a great job at developing athletes and getting people involved in the sport and generating interest and getting competitions in the States. I think if you can see if we can get that, then speed skiing has all the right things to either be in the Olympics or be more te- more televised over here in the States. That that would be awesome if it were. Um, and uh, obviously the athletes all want to be back in the Olympics. And you said it just needs to be a bigger push here in like North America and pl- places like this. Are there, is there a large, well, I guess my question is, are there a lot of other on the international level countries coming? Like, is it just the Europeans and the Canadians and the Americans? Or are there like in the other winter disciplines, Japan, China, you know, the Asian nations, maybe even African nations. Yeah, we have several skiers that are from like Japan, New Zealand, some of the other countries as well. But even though the focus is mainly in Europe, yeah, it'd be nice to see other just more and more countries get involved and to see more people from those countries participating in the sport. One crazy Red Bull sponsored sport and you all would be set, guaranteed. <laughs> like, but they would amp it up, though. They would have you all skiing on lines that you shouldn't be on and hey i mean if you can do it you can do it people you know is there that kind of progression actually there like i talk about how in some of the freestyle events i've talked about before how some of the stuff they're doing back even before 2000 in the 90s was just something you saw in video games like that would that's how that's where it could be done now people are doing it for real is that kind of progression in your sport say something like we're up to whatever the world record is in your sport is someone going to push that to like 200 miles per hour. I mean, I definitely think there's limits in the sport, especially in a sport where it's speed uh, based. I I think, but I don't think it's out of the question to see 160 or 170 miles an hour in speed skiing. The current record is 158, over 158 miles an hour. So 160 or 170 miles an hour definitely isn't out of the question. And uh, it would just take the right track, the conditions, the athlete, and I think uh, maybe some additional breakthroughs uh, in equipment and technology. In speed skiing, I mean, there's been uh, over the last 10, 15 years, there's been small in- incremental increases in the records with the latest record being set back in 2016. So that's, yeah, it, I guess it really is progressing. And again, the athletes are pushing it more and more too, pushing harder, reaching for that next bar, yourself included, I'm sure. 
Yes. Yeah. The bar, the bar is much higher. I mean, what use, you know, a hundred miles an hour used to be impressive 40 or 50 years ago. It's not, I mean, it's not unimpressive, but it's not the record. It's not, you know, it's not what the top, very, very top, you know, the top 10 are doing now in the sport. And you see that in other sports as well. And like you were saying, in freestyle skiing, the tricks these guys are doing now versus, you know, what was 10 years ago, they've, they keep pushing the bar more and more. They really do. I, I, I remember, I can remember when the first, I can't remember who did it, but like when the first 1080 on a snowboard was done, everybody's like, whoa, that's so crazy. And now that's six-year-olds do that on on weekend uh, uh, weekend ski instruction trips up to Mount Snow here in Vermont. Like that's where they're doing 1080s now. It's, it's anybody could do it. I can't do it, but most people can. So we talked about the progression. We talked about if it had that big push in popularity. And you also mentioned how there is a great, it seems to be a greater longevity in age for the athletes. Like most of, you know, it's seen, you know, a lot of athletes will tell you we're out by 35. Our bodies just took too much punishment, but it seems like you can go longer. You were saying. Yeah. I mean, in, it's not just speed scheme, but in other sports like tennis, I mean, you're seeing, now guys and they're late instead of coming out in their early to mid thirties, you still see top tennis players and they're playing in their late thirties and, and even into their early forties. So in speed skiing, the same thing is happening. I, I see skiers being able to participate longer when it used to be somebody in speed skiing was kind of out by age 40 or 45. You now see some people participating in the sport and being competitive uh, at 50 or older. And that's amazing to me because Lord knows as athletes, and I'm sure, I mean, again, if when you get down to the physiology and how each muscle group is used per sport or by each sport, everybody's body ages more quickly, takes a bigger beating. I'm sure your body's taken a heck of a beating too doing this. Some people would say, well, look, he's just going straight down. How much of a beating could he take? Why don't you tell us what kind of beating you take? Well, uh, first of all, the wind that is coming against you when you're going over 100 miles an hour it's a lot of forces and at the bottom of the hill a lot of times we're experiencing a compression which is where there's a, a down weighting force you know if there's if there's a steep slope and then a flat run out that sharp angle can create the compression on the hill and it can be several g's especially at at a hun- over 100 miles an hour and then on top of that we're constantly making adjustments just like ski jumpers are to keep our skis flat and keep them on the, tr- on the track down the course. So we're making lots of little adjustments. There's lots of forces involved. The snow, the, the track ha- can have undulations. We're bouncing up and down. I mean, it, t- it takes a lot of uh, strength and balance and it's a very athletic sport. I-, I can only imagine. Now that compression, you're saying you're catching a lot of G's. We know that can be catastrophic in some cases. Like, do you lose the ability to breathe? Do you ever come close to a blackout? Have you ever done either of those things? Are there other, are there other really catastrophic, scary things that could happen to you there? So especially when the forerunner is running on races, I'm looking to see if there are any areas of either where they're going airborne, because you sometimes do get going airborne if there's a, a roller or uh, th- there's just a sudden change in terrain elevation. And then secondly, looking for the compressions. But typically in the compressions, what you'll see is that this the speed skier will start to squat because they can't resist. They're already in a squat, but they start to go 
into a lower squat uh, backwards or their back goes down if they can't if they can't resist it. That is what I'm looking for. And then if you know that there is a compression, you can anticipate it and and change your positioning to better resist the forces. Okay, the so right and that that sounds really hard <laughs> like like i don't know another way to put it like that sounds hard to just deal yeah, with it, it is uh but like it's not necessarily that there is always a compression or there's always something a track the same track that you maybe compete on every year has different conditions every year depending sure. on how it groomed and so a lot of the tracks are very smooth there's no compressions or undulations at all which is a speed skier's dream to have a perfectly smooth track with enough you know no no uh grooming issues at all but the reality is a lot of times there are being able to adjust to those issues definitely separates some of the very top guys to the lower uh speed skiers if you look at the top five or ten and men they look rock solid through the bumps and compressions versus like myself like i sometimes get bounced around so but I will say through experience and through dealing with it, if you don't, if you don't ever deal with it, you'll never learn to deal with it. So you gotta, you gotta learn. You gotta, you just gotta face it head on. And I believe it. Yeah. Experience and practice makes everybody as close to perfect as they can be. Now, as, as we've said, obviously the faster you go in anything, the more dangerous it's going to be. Um, and you don't have to answer this next part if you don't want to. What is it like to go down at those speeds? What is it like to do that crash? What is it? How did you feel personally? Because you said you've had some issues in the past. I'm sure everyone has who's done it. This past year, I fell at over 100 miles an hour. I believe I might have been having my fastest run ever. I might have. I, I crossed the finish line after falling before the finish line at over 100, which means I was actually going faster than 100 before I fell. To fall at over 100 miles an hour, it hurt. I'm not gonna lie, it hurts, <laughs> but it happens so quickly and you're you're in shock. I mean, it, it, it's, it's over before you know it, but I actually didn't break any bones or anything. I just had uh, bad friction burns and uh, a pulled uh, inner groin uh, from when the ski hooked up. For me, it was the, I believe the, the preparation I've done uh, from all the training and working out, I believe all the protective uh, equipment and precautions we take. And I believe that the course crews at the tracks of preparing and having the proper safety netting and everything like that prevents a lot of the accidents from being much worse or people walking away with injuries. But I've actually never been, uh, I've never not walked away from a speed skiing crash. It's always been the mental toll that is much higher. And that's actually common, I think, when you've heard, when you, when we listen to interviews with other skiers for, and snowboarders and other winter, like even bobsled, other, any sport is once it's the mental, like even in, uh, if you watch sprinters, you know, that person who's just running, 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 they trip, that hurts so much less than the mental aspect of it. I think that's very common. Yes. And for me, what helps me move on is being able to provide closure and understand why it happened and how to keep it from happening again. When I understand 
those two things, then I feel like I can let it go and I can I can focus. And that's awesome. And that's the way to go. If you have a strong mental game, that's obviously going to help your physical game. But for safety equipment, you, you, you said real quick, that there is safety equipment. Now, from what I've seen, I've seen your helmets. I can describe that. Now, when you look at the rest of the suit, the uniforms, everything, it doesn't look like there's a lot built in for safety there. Is that wrong? Uh, so actually, in a, on our backs, we have a back protector there. They have to be fists approved. And okay. uh, some people actually wear air vest as well, which will inflate in case of a fall. Uh, secondly, we wear a layer under our, or in some cases, several layers under those race suits. Uh, I will wear a uh, base layer and then I actually wear a standard production downhill suit. Um, and it's made out of a kind of a uh, slippery special material but by wearing that it cuts down greatly on the friction burns and the friction burns are coming from where the wind the snow the suit itself it's the snow friction when when you fall at those speeds the the snow is not soft it's just like falling on water at high speed it, the consistency changes and and it, it's uh becomes more like it will create second or two or third degree burns in some cases depending on the on the speeds holy smokes dude all right everybody listening think about that next time you fall at your local ski hill and you're just sliding on your backside on a nice little groomed green he's getting burned by and snow that's what, dude that's what they tell us taught me in speed skiing is uh, always fall on your backside because that's where we try to get on our backside as quick as possible because that's where our back protector is and if we're sliding on our back protector we won't get burned and that I, I hope you could do that every time there is a right way to fall it's it's something that some people when i've said it in the past have been like a right way to fall i'm like 100 there's always a right way to fall gosh getting burned yeah. by snow falling i can't even imagine yeah. that uh, it sucks but there you're right there definitely is a right way to fall the problem is is you can't always fall the right way <laughs> yeah i can imagine sometimes you're just a body and that's what you are so yeah like i said this the suit when you see it doesn't look like it has any of that built in it almost looks painted on and grafted in fact to me sometimes you almost wonder if there's someone in there it just looks molded like the skier looks molded in one piece and it doesn't look like there's much for safety but that's awesome that you have something yeah and our uh, fairings uh, they're made out of foam so they're not those back the the back sections sure. that look, that look very aerodynamic on the back side of the speed skier those are made out of foam so in case of a fall they will not hurt you and then our helmets we actually have an inner breakaway helmet so when we fall the outer the cool outer looking helmet will come off and then the inner helmet will protect us see that's so cool to me because again it doesn't look like there's much there but what you're always told is less weight is more speed but it, it sounds like you all can pack in a, more than a little bit and still come under your whatever weight you need yes it, it you'd be surprised how much we can fit inside those tight latex rubber suits but I will say that it does take us a long time to get in those suits. It takes, I seem to be pretty good at it. I can do it in about 30 minutes to an hour, but some people take more than an hour to get in into those suits. Holy smokes. So not to, not to be, not to, not to, I, I shouldn't let my sixth grader type sense of humor come flying out now, but there is no taco lunches for you guys. Huh? Yeah, it's it's best not to. Uh, so, I mean, some people um, have 
easier time getting one on and off. But yeah. once yeah. you're in the suit, uh, kind of make sure you go to the restroom and <laughs> make sure you have all your business done. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, the sixth grader in me couldn't let that one go. How awful is that? But it's still very interesting because it is, it's such a technical thing. Now you haven't, you said you're an engineer, engineering background. Does your, does the engineering you work at your day job have any translation, anything to do with, not saying do you work in the ski industry, but does what you do, uh, are the people who are designing your suits, your skis, your, your safety equipment, they're doing the same stuff you do. So they are in a different industry, but there are a lot of similarities um, in the design process and yeah. understanding that from one industry to the other. I work for Amatrol Inc. and uh, they're a technical education manufacturer. They produce uh, technical education equipment for community colleges, high schools, trade schools, and the process of designing all the different products using you know different CAD software, understanding, you know, the dimensions and forces and being able to read drawings and give input and, and the list goes on. But all those principles apply to the manufacturers that I work with um, to develop the equipment in my uh, ski suits, such as uh, Atomic for skis and uh, and then the wax, Swix for wax and then Arclight uh, for uh, the lens that I use. So uh, having that background really helps. So when your techs say, hey, Jake, this is blah, blah, blah you know exactly what they're talking about then there's no question about that yes yeah it, it allows me to provide uh, valuable feedback and help in the design process and i, I do definitely attribute uh, my engineering background to uh the success that i've had in speed skiing have you have you ever thought about jumping on your current job like bailing from it and getting into the ski industry or you'd rather just keep that separate mm, the thought has crossed my mind sometimes nice. but i really do uh, like my current job because my employer, they're very uh, cooperative on working with my schedule and allow me to go compete in these competitions. And then secondly, the mission of Amatrol, which is transforming the global workforce one life at a time, we're, we're changing people's lives. We're we're helping people get education and get the skills they need to get a great paying job and have a great career. So I find that to be a very rewarding career. So right now I'm kind of trying to do both. I like that. There's nothing wrong with being a jack of all trades, doing both. Have mm -hmm. you ever thought about just for the fun of it, maybe designing your own Jake Perkins line of skis, you know, maybe uh, get someone to yeah. put it out? <laughs> yeah, I know quite a few different ski manufacturers and there's, and the interesting thing about ski manufacturers, while there's some really big ones, there's there's a lot of local ones that I've seen, you know, popping up out in Utah and, you know, Colorado, and they, you know, produce custom skis for people. But it's pretty interesting looking at the process, how they develop them and, and just the amount of hands-on work that goes into building them. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. I don't know much about it. I have, I know nothing about engineering. I know nothing about uh, computed aided computer-aided design. I know very little about any of it. So I leave that to you pros. Uh, you tell me it's a good one. I'll buy it. It's just that easy for me. That's awesome, dude. I, Jake, you're so awesome, man. You're, you're a pro athlete. 
you're doing it and then you're still down the down to earth doing the rewarding job for a day job like you're not just a skier you're a person and i love that i think that's so awesome well thank you i appreciate it tim actually one more thing before we wrap up because we've covered quite a bit of things and i hope everybody has found it as interesting as i have again i don't do these for people i do this for me i want to know so i'm gonna ask um because of the longevity of the athletes as you say it's getting longer and longer this big push for the more extreme sports if this goes back to the olympics which it very well could i think for the last two or three there have been disciplines added um are you going for it i am nice I would love it. I would love to see you up on that screen, you know, even if it's at two in the morning, because that's when you were watching stuff for this past one out there in Beijing. I know time was not convenient. (laughs) It certainly wasn't. Um, A lot of people watched repeats this past Olympics. Well, that's awesome, man. Anything else you want to go over while we're here? You could say anything. Ski Rex Media, I don't care. You could bring up social media. I just want to say one thing. For those that are interested in speed skiing, check out my website at jacobperkins.org, and you can also go to speedski.com for helpful resources and speed skiers in the U.S. if you're looking to get into speed skiing. It's a great sport. It's fun. It's adrenaline fueled. And I hope more people get interested in it. I hope so too, man. And I think that's, I, and I'm surprised it's not already because I think that's why a lot of people do ski anyway. That's why we have the diamond, double diamond, triple diamond. Some people like the bumps and the whatnot, but it's the steep, the moving, the speed. So I hope a lot of people, and do as Jacob says, you know, find his website. Say that one more time. It is jacobperkins.org. .org, everybody, not .com. Org. Or you could go into Google and check that out. And like I said, I plugged his, uh, Jacob was also on, uh, uh, my friends, the high flutin ski bums podcast a few weeks ago, episode two thirty two eighty three for them. So check him out over there too. And say hello to Mario and Brian. I love those guys and they love me. So we're all friends here, dude. This was awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Yes. This was a lot of fun. Thank you, Tim. Y- yeah. And I hope, I hope even I can help push it a little because I'm interested. Like I want to see it. I would love to to try it but let's be honest i'm a wuss but if i can ever get a chance to see it i'm gonna see it and i think that would be awesome but thank you again jacob man have a good evening um and stay cool until you get back out there and then we'll see you out on the hill man uh, hopefully we'll be able to catch you somewhere even if it's streaming on youtube always check that fis is forever streaming stuff there yes yeah looking forward to it excellent thank you my friend we'll talk to you again some other time all right see you too thank you And there he goes, Jacob Perkins, professional speed skier and all around nice guy. Don't you think like I couldn't believe how nice this guy was so much nicer than someone like me. I mean, I'm decent. I'm okay. The Pennsylvania contingent will tell you I'm pretty cool to hang out with. But still, Jacob Perkins, really nice guy, full of information. I hope you enjoyed the information that he gave us. I hope you enjoyed this interview in this episode. I hope you enjoy Ski Rex Media as a whole. If you do enjoy Ski Rex Media as a whole, head to SkiRexMedia.com. There you can find everything you ever wanted to know about Ski Rex Media, including past episodes of the podcast, including photos, including, well, maybe not so much on the website photos, but there's links to Skirex Media's social media pages, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, the big four, the YouTube channel, which I haven't decided really what I'm going to do with that this season since I cut out the video portion of the podcast, though there is the podcast is still uploaded to YouTube. It is audio only with an audiogram, which is kind of neat. 
but not quite audio uh, video. So we'll see what we're going to do with that this year. But SkiRexMedia.com is where you want to go for everything SkiRex Media, including a form. You go to the bottom of the page and you can sign up for SkiRexMedia.com updates. SkiRex Media updates a lot about the podcast, my skiing destinations for the week, and anything else I feel the need to send you, I will send you. But I will never be a prick about it. And I will never give your email address to anyone else that just lives on my computer. And one day I I will forget it's there and then one day it'll get deleted anyway. But for now, you can get Skirex Media updates by signing up at skirexmedia.com and links to send me emails for questions, concerns, criticisms. I've already gotten an email. I got an email from a person who was giving me some criticism about the season premiere, and that was really awesome. They were really cool. We had a little civil conversation. I sent them some stickers, and now they're back to listen to this episode and hopefully episodes in the future. And speaking of the future, I know right now that you are going to get two episodes next week on the 28th. That's right. September the 28th, there are going to be two episodes. Why? Because I biffed on the release schedule some are already coming out late like when Doug Fish comes out on the 5th he talks about the indie pass dates when the price goes up the earlier you buy a pass the cheaper it is so he's talking about how the price is about to go up and that has already come and I've cut that out of the episode and put it up on social media for everybody so you would know when the indie pass price goes up so you do know about I hope you already have your indie pass I have mine but because of my release schedule trying to get things done you're gonna get Wendy Clinch and Kimberly K next week two different episodes but you get them both and they'll both also be ready on Patreon the previous Sunday that's right Patreon subscribers get early access to the Ski Rex Media Podcast plus bonus episodes plus when I start doing in the live stream again you will get priority on call-ins it's a whole thing head on over there patreon.com slash media support the program that you know and love and get the podcast a little early a little earlier than everybody else but it will still be out on wednesdays at nine o'clock in the morning just as it always has been thank you again for listening to the ski rex media podcast i really do appreciate it i really do hope you're enjoying it i hope you continue to enjoy it as the weeks go on and i hope i get all my audio issues sorted out so you don't have to deal with that anymore more and hear the closing in the intro sounding a little different because I had to recut them but couldn't recut the main audio. I know I suck. I really should just go learn how to be an audio engineer and then come back to this. But hey, I'm learning. Thank you again, everybody. This is Tim from the Ski Rex Media Podcast. I hope you're having a good summer. I hope you continue to. I hope you have a good autumn. And I really, really hope we all have a good winter. And I will see you out there at Whaleback Mountain and maybe somewhere else, too. I do have that Indie Pass. Thank you for listening, everyone. Have a good day. Good morning. Good evening. Good night. Whenever you may listen to this, I'll see you out there later. Later.